So here's a question that my kids debated passionately last week when we all got to gather together in St. Louis. The important question of the day, what exactly makes for great Christmas music, they were saying. I just sat back and listened to their debate. It all started because we were listening to Christmas music on an all Christmas music radio station and they kept playing this song from the sound of music. Roger and Hammerstein's song, My Favorite Things, you know? Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. A Christmas song? Really? Well, said my son, it does have a lot of wintry images. You know, snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes, warm woolen mittens, that kind of thing. I don't know, mused my daughter-in-law. When I think of Christmas music, I think of tidings of comfort and joy. You know, something greater than brown paper packages wrapped up in string. Everyone nodded at her wisdom. We were all kind of quiet for a moment. And then, I kid you not, someone said, so when are we going to draw names for the Christmas presents? <laughs> Tidings of comfort and joy. I do believe my daughter-in-law was spot on. A perfect Christmas song bursts with joy. And there is one song above all others that perfectly sings the joy that comes to us, the joy we celebrate this season. You just heard it sung by our choir. It's called the Magnificat. This beautiful, perfect Christmas song is sung by a young girl who actually has no reason to be joyful or hopeful. A young girl who's just found out that she's pregnant, that she will bear the Son of God, something she couldn't have wanted. It wasn't exactly a wonderful beginning for her engagement to Joseph, was it? And young girls were stoned for such things in Mary's day. Surely Mary had reason for worry and for fear. Led by God's Spirit, she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, and out of nowhere, pure joy, perfect joy erupts. Mary arrives at Elizabeth's door, pregnant, unmarried, and whatever she expected, a jubilant blessing is what she got. Elizabeth's excitement ignites Mary's, and Mary starts singing before she even takes her coat off in the hallway. She starts praising God for turning the world upside down, for looking with favor upon her and nobody from nowhere, for bringing down the powerful and lifting up the lowly, for filling the hungry with good things and sending the rich away empty. What allowed such joy to pour out of Mary's heart that day? What caused Mary to sing such joy in that kind of a situation? Well, friends, it came to her as a gift, this perfect Christmas song. And it proclaims three important things, three things for us to remember. First, that God is in charge. She sings that no matter what she's facing personally, no matter what the world looks like, whatever danger or difficulty, God is in charge and God wants good for her comfort and joy, tidings of comfort and joy. And she sings, God is faithful. 
God has promised to Israel that there will be a Messiah. God's promises are sure, they're strong. God is working things out for good, tidings of comfort and joy. And she sings that God is including her, a nobody from nowhere, including her in this great work. And she's grateful. Tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Doesn't that sound good? Isn't that really the heart of the Christmas story? To a poor unmarried teenage girl came the glad tidings that she would have a child. To a confused, bewildered carpenter fiancé came the good news that this child would be the savior of Israel. To the shepherds on the hills, the glorious message that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, good news of great joy for all people. I know that. You know that. We've known this since we were children, but joy is the special gift, the special song of Christmas. But as we enter this third week of Advent, I have just a few simple questions for you. Two simple questions. First, do you understand this mysterious thing we call joy that Mary sang? And secondly, are you prepared like Mary to sing that joy into your family, into your neighborhood, into your workplace, into your world? It matters because our world needs such joy. It matters because as the Apostle Paul wrote, Christians are to exhibit that joy. We're the bearers of that joy to a hurting world. But true joy, the, the kind we celebrate at Christmas, the kind Mary sang about, it seems in such short supply. As we read the papers or watch our news feed, such short supply. C.S. Lewis wrote that joy is the serious business of heaven. The serious business of heaven. So let me remind you of a few things about this precious, serious business of heaven. The first thing that you have to understand about joy that we're taught about joy in scripture is that it has nothing to do with pleasure or happiness, with fun or excitement. Now, don't get me wrong, those things are great, but pleasure, happiness, fun, excitement, they are dependent upon positive conditions. They're dependent upon things like good health or a good job or a happy family. They're dependent on lots of great presents under the tree and great events being planned, right? Joy, on the other hand, is only dependent on one condition, one condition, and that is the presence of God. Joy, true joy happens when God is present and people know it. While happiness, fun, pleasure can be wiped out at the arrival of pain, joy cannot be wiped out, thanks be to God. And while happiness, fun, and pleasure have a trouble existing with pain, joy can coexist with pain. In fact, it's often in the middle of affliction that joy can prove to be most powerful. 
Joy to the world, the Christmas carol rings out. Not happiness to the world, not pleasure to the world, but joy to the world. Because at Christmas, God came to be present with us and to set things right for us. And as Mary sang, that is where joy comes from. Joy powerful and rich and precious. The sense that everything is is, um, going to be all right or will be made right or is in the process of being made right, even if you can only catch a glimpse of it for just a moment, that's the heart of the Christmas story. And the second thing we have to remember about this precious gift of joy is that because its only condition is the presence of God, it can erupt anywhere and any time, even when you least expect it, where it doesn't seem to fit, when you've lost your job, when your family's broken, in an intensive care waiting room, in a silent, quiet, lonely night, even in the midst of grief, joy can erupt. As many of you know, my my dear mother-in-law died just about three weeks ago, and we gathered in St. Louis last week for her services. And I was overcome with a sense that as my whole family was there together in this occasion of immense sadness, there was mingled at the same time an inexplicable joy. At first, the paradox kind of puzzled and I have to say embarrassed me because joy seemed utterly inappropriate under the circumstance. But I couldn't deny it. I couldn't deny the mix of emotions. And the more I considered it, the clearer it became. Sure, there's terrible grief in the loss of this matriarch of our family, but also a flood of gratitude and a flood of joy for her life for all that she had given us, and in the assurance that God had set things right for her after five years of dealing with the aftermath of a major stroke. Joy, real biblical joy is always about God's promises and God's activity in our lives and in our world. Joy is about ultimate things. The perfect gift for the right person, the perfect ham, the perfect Christmas music or family gathering, it can't give us joy. We know that. And yet over and over again, we spend the money, we drive ourselves to manufacture a joyful Christmas. Let's just let go of that right now. What do you say? Right? As Christians, we understand that joy The joy that this world needs, it's not found in our celebrations and gatherings and our food and gifts, but in this simple story of an unwed teenage mother, a faithful carpenter, some angels, and that wise old cousin, Elizabeth. Mary received joy. Mary sang joy. Not because things were perfect or wonderful or had completely been made right yet, but because God was present and God was keeping God's promise and God was in the process of setting things right. And her only possible human reaction for such a thing was joy. Isn't it just like God to step into the darkest places and turn on the lights? to surprise everyone with unkillable joy. 
So Mary's song, that perfect Christmas song, is still being sung, my friends. Being sung by people like you, like me, being sung by churches like ours. And it's our turn. It's our turn to sing God's power, to proclaim that God is in charge. Not politics or economics or government or human imaginings, but God. The God who promises good for us, who's faithful to provide for us. And here's the important part, who calls us partners in divine kingdom building. We partner in our loving, in our giving, in our serving. I pray that like Mary, we can sing joy, real joy into the world. Even if only for a moment, even if it's only a small chord or a tiny chorus between presents and visits and activities, I pray that we can sing that perfect Christmas song. <laughs> sing that God is doing amazing things in our world and in our lives. That was subtle, wasn't it? I pray that we can sing that God is present with us and setting things right for us, that we might sing the good news and great joy that is the truth behind this holy season. And I pray that like Mary, that joy flows from us into others and leaves us forever changed. The mighty one has done great things for me, she sang. With all my heart, I glorify the Lord, she sang. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God, my Savior, she sang. What more perfect Christmas song could we sing? What more perfect Christmas gift can there be than joy? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.